And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Instead of taking up that gym membership that you wouldn't use even if the gyms were open, how's about subscribing to The Athletic for just £4 a month? You'll get unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff, and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com forward slash league show. Hands humming, Wimbledon with Hodges, Lincoln miss pens like I miss pubs, and what's the weather like in Fleetwood, Dad? It's brave, son. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Hey, listener, I hope you're doing okay. Matt Davis Adams here to guide you through another weekend in the English Football League. I've got two journeymen of the pod and a big name signing with me today. Uh, Adrian Clark, one of the former. Good weekend for your old club, Stevenage. Uh, bad weekend for your old club, Southend. How are you feeling? Oh, yeah, not so good. Not so good. Yeah, Southend, that revival feels like it's a while off now. So, yeah, they need to regroup big time. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm beginning to fear for the Shrimpers, which is, uh, yeah, it'd be tragic if they were to, to lose their place in the in the 72. Uh, Sam Parkins also with us. Sam, you've been cheating on the EFL this weekend by the sounds of things. Yeah, got got a promotion to go and watch the worst game of football in the history of the world at Sellers Park. So more than happy to be to be back talking about my bread and butter because I had to lie in a darkened room for a few days. <laughs> uh, we're thrilled to welcome back for his sophomore appearance the former Accrington, Portsmouth, Wigan and more manager, Paul Cook. Um, Paul, you were telling us just, just before we came on air that, that you're having one of, one of those days where it sounds like the itch to get back is pretty strong. Yeah, first of all, I, I, I didn't think I was going to be called a journeyman. I was quite working out. Was I one of the two? <laughs> I couldn't put myself into which one, Matt. Um, no, listen, it's uh, for all managers out to work. I think every day is a difficult day, isn't it? Because we're talking about the job that we're privileged to do and the job that we love. You know, and that interaction with lads, the banter, the dressing room is what, is what people really, really miss. So just because it's deadline day, it's probably heightened that a little bit more than it is. And to say it's at a high every day anyway is quite quite normal. Um, according to our friends at The Athletic, you've had opportunities to get back with, with Wednesday and with Cardiff too, albeit maybe only till the till the end of the season. Was there any temptation there? Or are you thinking now that it, it might be next season by the time you start again? I, I want to be very careful, Matt, because obviously I don't want to start getting embroiled in what, who says what and stuff like that. Because, you know, I've never been in football for that. I think it's a, an honour to manage a football club and the higher you go, the bigger the honour, the bigger the privilege, if you like, because you know clubs like Sheffield Wednesday, for example, are an absolutely institution of football over 100 years. You know, so could I have gone back into... I've, been, I've spoke to both them clubs. The talks obviously never went to where I would have been happy. And I wish everybody well. You know, Cardiff have appointed a manager in Mick McCarthy, Who's, a, who's an absolute stalwart of the game and a very good, safe pair of hands for Cardiff. And Sheffield Wednesday is still in the process of whatever, you know, Mr Chanzeri decides to do. When it, the longer you're out, does it get harder to get to hold your nerve? You know, you you might have thought when you left Wigan, OK, I want top-end championship, maybe even lower-end Premier League. But the longer you're out, do, do you start to think, well, maybe maybe it'll have to be something slightly different? Again, Matt, it's a, it's, a, it's a really difficult one because nowadays the power of social media is absolutely huge, isn't it? You know, whether you like it or not. You know, perception in, in football especially is everything. You know, I don't want to be someone... I have turned down opportunities to work again now, you know, but I have a certain criteria that for a period of time I would like to be able to join. Now, if that doesn't happen, Matt, I will manage no matter where. Whether that's in the conference or league, it doesn't bother me. I just love football. But at the minute, I've worked so hard in my career. I've got to a point where I feel I deserve an opportunity to maybe get to the Premier League. 
I think for an English manager today, you're not going to be uh, propelled into the Premier League. You're just not. So the reality, unless you're probably a Frank Lampard or Steven Gerrard, possibly them lads may well do so. But for someone like myself, I'd probably have to manage a club to be promoted to get there. So I'd like to try and join a club possibly that fits the criteria of a going forward club that has ambitions to get there in the correct and proper manner. Because obviously I have been a little bit burnt lately. If that doesn't happen, Matt, I will happily manage anyone, anywhere. I just love football. Great. All right. Well, look, we'll take the pressure off the cooker, if you like now, and, um, and head to the championship. Ronaldo and Messi, a rivalry for our times. But like all those striving to be the best in their chosen field, they need each other. They drive each other on. Like me and Jeff, the other voiceover guy. Hey, Jeff. Introducing Toothpaste. It's paste for your teeth. Cardi's good. Well, something that is unrivaled is Paddy Power's offer of a free bet if one leg of your 4 plus fold acre lets you down. Paddy Power. Stay in your lane, Jeff. Max free bet £10. Min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Championship headlines. Leaders Norwich held at home by Borough. That meant Swansea's win at Rotherham saw them cut the gap at the top to four points. Derby and Chef wed the big winners at the bottom. Transfer-wise, Henry Lansbury's joined Bristol City till the end of the season. Yannick Velassi's in a Borough. Gerard de Lefebvre's left Watford for Italian Watford, a.k.a. Udinese. Dan Gosling swapped Bournemouth for Watford. According to The Athletic, Bournemouth and Southampton could trade Josh King for Shane Long. And Winston Reid's joined Brentford on loan. But the biggest news, Bergkamp to Watford. That's Dennis Bergkamp's son, who joins Maurizio Pochettino's son and Dennis Weiser's son at the Hornets. Uh, we're going to start our look back at the weekend's action, though, at the Brentford Community Stadium. Brentford 7, Wickham 2. Sam, Brentford, 18 league games unbeaten now. What's to stop them going up? The memory of last season, perhaps? It's, it's difficult to find anything else in their way at the moment. Uh, if I was to give you one thing this morning... It would probably be a lack of cover at centre half. Would maybe be all I could think of because they're they're really down to the bare bones in that department with uh, Janssen obviously missing and Charlie Good's been hampered by an injury this season as well. And I thought that was obviously uh, a factor in the game on Saturday, which sounded incredible. And unfortunately, Wickham just seemed to run out of legs as they did against Tottenham in the in the previous game. But there's no shame in in losing to Brentford. Remember them doing that to. Luton last season, Luton were able to stay up. It doesn't mean that Wickham are destined for the drop. I still think they'll they'll rally. But yeah, that's the only thing really that I'm concerned about with Brentford because they've, they've been a bit patched up, but they're managing to get by and, and sharing the goals out now, which is huge. So, you know, to have the other players chipping in to, to complement what Tony's done this season is, is fantastic for them. And yeah, you know, I, I make them my favourites probably to, to follow Norwich up. Uh, Clarky, Sam mentions the centre-half issue there. He said that they've, they've brought in Winston Reid for the rest of the season. That's a bit of a risk though, isn't it? You're talking about somebody who's not played much football over the last couple of years. You just said that. I forgot about him. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's not the youngest, is he, Winston Reid? But he's got, good, he's got good pedigree and and he could be a useful acquisition. Let's, let's give him a chance. What I will say, I, I looked into their defensive record and it, it, it is terrific still, even though they're stretched. Obviously, no Raya in goal either the other day. No Pontus Janssen. They've only faced... They face around nine shots per game, which is the second best in the championship. And that tells you, I think, that, that they are a team that defend well all over the pitch. They you know defend from the front in midfield. They work hard. They protect the goalkeeper very, very well. Um, because... It's not as if they're, they're they're obsessed by possession this season. They're, you know, it's around 50-50 in terms of, of what they have. So, so look, they do defend well as a team. They're really well organised. Um, yeah, I think I think I think they're in they're in a great position, aren't they, to to go up? And this performance, by the way, seven tour comes on the back of a game at Swansea that they that they drew one apiece, but they had twenty one shots to Swansea's two in that game. That, that's an immense away performance from the Bees. I, I think shots have been fired by Brentford this week and, and the others will be taking notice. Paul, Ivan Tony gets a hat-trick here. It takes him one above Adam Armstrong in the, in the race for the golden boot. 
He's a real example of how impressive Brentford's recruitment strategy and, in fact, transfer strategy overall has been over the last couple of years, isn't he? You know, you think with them losing Ben Rama and Watkins, are they going to struggle for goals? They'd already got the replacement scouted and in place. That's such a help for a manager. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, I think Brentford's Brentford's uh, transfer policy, stroke recruitment, stroke everything is sort of well documented and highlighted a lot more when you're winning and you're selling players. Don't forget it was only a few years ago Southampton were getting all the plaudits in the world for similar models and similar things. I think all clubs try and recruit well. When you sign a player, they're never a bad player. They're always a good player. It's only when you watch them play in your club you realise they're bad players. So I think with Brentford, they're doing really well as a club, aren't they? Move to a stadium. I personally think that if you look at Leeds as a football team and how they missed out in the playoffs the year before, no one even remembers it now. Because last year they go up automatically. Last year, the minute Leeds have a blip, everyone's saying, will they have another blip? Will they do this? Will they do that? The experiences in football are fantastic, whether they're good or bad. Brentford have had the most amazing experience, getting to the playoffs, being on the run, being in a Wembley final, albeit with no supporters there. And then the biggest experience of all, the pain of disappointment. If Brentford do what I think they'll do, Brentford will go up this year because everything that they've done in the past will fuel them to go forward in the future. Uh, briefly on Wickham, Clarkie, we know that games like this aren't aren't going to define their season necessarily, but but it's a it's a heavy old defeat to try and put behind you quickly, isn't it? It's one thing losing to a good team; it's one thing getting battered. Yeah, I just think their legs went. Games can run away from you sometimes against against the very best. And they just collapsed, really. And, and they looked very leggy, a bit slow towards the end of that game. I, I think they'll come good again. I think they should be lifted by the way they competed in the first half. It was a really good game. Ding dong. They caused one of the best teams in the league loads of problems. Iqpiazu's scored two great goals in successive games. So, that, so that's, a, that's a real positive. Um, so no, I, I, don't, I don't think Gareth Ainsworth and the players will beat themselves up over this one. They've got, you know, plenty more battles between now and the end of the season. And, and yeah, I, I think you've, you've just got to park it. Park that second half and uh, not pretend it didn't happen, but, but, but not dwell on it too long. Uh, let's go to another top v bottom game then. Rotherham 1, Swansea 3. Great win for Rotherham at Middlesbrough in the week, but brought back down to earth the weekend just passed. Swansea sitting second after a hugely impressive 3-1 success in Yorkshire. Sam, those goals were pretty special. Did you have a favourite of the bunch? Uh, probably Jay Fulton's. There's the run on the left-hand side and Swansea pick it up and they've got two in the middle. One of them is Fulton and Fulton! Oh, what a substitution! He's been on the field seconds for Swansea City. He scores the third of the afternoon and that gives real breathing space. Rotherham one, Swansea City three. What a change by that man, Steve Cooper. Yeah, I really like Jay Fulton. I played against him up in Scotland when um, Falkirk were bringing through a number of good young players and he's, he's a little bit hard done by because he, he doesn't start every week and I think he's technically very good and capable of playing in a in a top championship side. So it's a shame um, for him that they've just brought in Hurahan, got Grimes, they've had Corey Smith doing brilliantly this season. And yeah, Rotherham again competed really well in this game. Just the clinical edge that Swansea brought to the party with that solidity they've got defensively and it doesn't matter who's out there I think Bennett was the standout in this game but they've got Lati Bodier he's been brilliant Gurhi the Chelsea Loney and they keep keep surprising me Swansea because I felt like Reading they probably would fall away but given the, the signings that they've made in the window they're looking the real deal and um, obviously played along Mac, alongside Matt Grimes a long time ago but I'd love to see Matt back in the Premier League because I thought at 17 he was going to be a top level Premier League player and just I wouldn't say lost his way because of attitude or anything but just found it difficult to maybe make that that step when he initially went to to Swansea he's had to play in the championship for a few years but he's looking the real deal again now yeah he, should, he certainly is um Paul we speak a lot on the show about the importance of loans for for EFL clubs and and how that relationship between one club and, and clubs in higher divisions can be so crucial. And another example with how that works well for Swansea, we, we spoke at length about Gurhey and Gallagher last season, but Conor Hurahan looks like a terrific pickup for a, for a championship side looking to go up. Uh, without a shadow of a doubt, I think 
the aspect of the young loans, the lads that we spoke about are fantastic. Even we had Morgan Gibbs this year from Wolves. Do you know? So I think Steve's proved very astute in the younger loan players market. He'll certainly know their markets from the England setup, albeit England playing all of the countries that they played. But in Conor Hurrahan, you'd get an, an opposite side of the effect of a loan. You're getting a being there, seeing it, done it, proven type of loan that any championship club would be, be benefit from a signing of the calibre of Conor Hurrahan. I think as Sam was touching to there, Swansea do look the real deal for me as well. Yeah, I do think that. I think within the disappointment of last year, playoffs last year were probably a bonus if I'd be truthful for Swansea because of the, the changes that were going on at the club that the refinancing of the players' contracts, if you like, the restructuring from big earners into still big earners, but not as big as the big earners, if you like, guys. You know, and, and now all due respect to a model where Jamal Lowe's gone in there up front a little bit with IU, the, the recruiting well, you know, Hurricane for me is just a really, really good sign. Uh, Adrian, let's talk about, about Rotherham because I mentioned they had that brilliant win at, at Middlesbrough. How are you feeling about their prospects? They are, what, three points from safety, albeit with, with two games in hand. And, and they are, by their very nature, I suppose, quite an inconsistent team. Do, do, do you think that they've got what it what it takes to stay up? Definitely got what it takes to stay up, yeah. I I, I don't think they've they've been at all bad this season. They've been in games, they've given teams a, a real game. I think with the front two crooks and Smith at the moment, there's such a handful that that anyone will find it difficult to to sort of come up against them. You know, big, strong, and you know, full of running and endeavour and work rate, and and they've scored goals. You know, they've scored a lot of goals in recent weeks. Rotherham, I like the wing back on a Sunday. I think he's a he's a, he's a good player, exciting down the right, and they've brought in, haven't they, Ryan Giles, who who had been on loan at Coventry from Wolves. And I thought he was doing brilliantly, actually, for Coventry. Um, gone back to Wolves and gone straight out to Rotherham. And I think he'll he'll add real good balance on, on the other side. So, look, I'm not going to say that, that they'll, they'll be comfortably safe, but they've definitely got a chance because they've settled into a, into a, into a shape now. It looks like a 3-5-1-1. Not too many changes in personnel week on week. Yeah, they're in with it. They're in with the fighting chance. Paul? Yeah, just a little point there to, 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 to pick up on because obviously I've been in, in Rotherham's position, if you like, and, and the experience. The key things for the Rotherham's and the Wickham's of this world is learning to manage and live with the disappointment that defeats bring. Because defeats naturally have a knock-on effect to confidence. But if you're in these team situations, your fight is to finish fourth and bottom. But whilst we're talking about the Swansea's and the Brentford's trying to go up, success for these clubs is massively just staying up. Within that, you can lose two or three, four games on the bounce. But if you bounce back with wins or a couple of points in there, it gets you where you want to be. So I think for Gareth and Paul Warren, who are both doing exceptionally good jobs, they've been promoted last year where you're used to taking points. Now the disappointment of going games without winning can have an effect. It's how them guys manage them players overcome that Paul is the skill of, of management really picking and choosing the right time then to dwell on defeats and, and the odd bad performance do you have to let a, let, let a couple go because because of what you're talking about well I, I've got a good example for you here we were we were in a world of pain at Wigan and we were playing Middlesbrough away and we were getting beat 2-0 at half time so a long story short, I spent 15 minutes effing and blinded and shouting and screaming at every single player in the group. By the time they went out for the second half, no one wanted to go out and play for me. He told me And we got in on the Monday morning and I apologised to them as a group of people. And I said, guys, you've got to remember whatever you feel, I feel as well. And that was my personal pressure coming out with me because we were losing. And from that day on, it was a great learning curve for me that I them lads need help. Them lads, as we just picked up on Wickham, Wickham have gone to Brentford and done absolutely nothing wrong except run out to gas and run out to petrol. And I'm sure Gareth and Paul are very, very good and ready for them days ahead. Um, another team who, who might need a bit of a pick-me-up are Bournemouth, uh, beating 3-1 at Reading on Friday night. Reading top of the form table and beating in 6-1, four of those. Bournemouth, three defeats on the bounce, though. Uh, Mr Podge asks, will Reading get promoted 
Sam, are you prepared to either make or break that dream for, for Mr. Podge? I've already I've already given you three teams that are going to get promoted. <laughs> um, I would say right now they they my guess would be they'd have to do it through the playoffs. That would be my guess if they're uh, gonna gonna make it. But I mean, you think of that front four. I was thinking about it this morning. Is there a better front four in the division? Maybe Norwich on the, on their day can, can can match them, but obviously maybe different setups. But in the the four two three one, I mean, Redden are outstanding and. Um, I think Josh Lawrence getting a lot of praise. So it's not all about that front four. You know, he was a free transfer from Shrewsbury. They've got young kids that have come through the system. McIntyre coming into the side right now, who was their standout in in that game. So they're not going anywhere. They're not going to go down the table. And, and the biggest point to, to focus on is they've got probably the pound for pound, the best striker in the division right now. And Paul will probably tell you what that that gives you when the lads are going out there and they know they've got someone who can not only uh, be a focal point in terms of head it, hold the ball in, bring others in, but he has got silky feet. He can go beyond people and he can finish beautifully with either side. So that was one of my favourite goals of the, the season thus far. And um, he he's the reason, really. If he stays fit, of course they've got a shout. He, he almost sent Steve Cook into retirement, didn't he? With that drag back across his body. <laughs> that was that was something a bit special, wasn't it? I mean, it's easy. I wouldn't say it's easy, but you can do that maybe from a standing start to be moving and roll the, the ball with your studs is, is phenomenal. And you, you, you can't, I suppose you can't read that and you can't move your feet quickly enough to deal with that either as a defender. Yeah. Can, can I just ask Paul a question? Uh, Josh Lauren is, is, is flying this season. Obviously he earned his move by doing well at, at Shrewsbury, but is, am I right in thinking you had him at Wigan, but he wasn't, wasn't too heavily involved. Just wondered, you know, what your memories of, of working with him and maybe why it didn't work out at Wigan. Cause he, cause he looks the full package at the moment in the championship. He, he can sort of do a bit of everything. And he also had Ivan Tony at Wigan, and he also had Ted <laughs> Fulton at Wigan. There's a problem here, lads, isn't there? <laughs> again, for Josh Lalonde, uh, uh, Josh was a young lad when he went into Wigan, and Wigan had 39 pros. Uh, Josh was an absolutely outstanding young man, really good, really good boy, really good kid, who had to go and play football for the benefit of his career. At the time, we were trying to get promoted into League One. We had Sammy Morsey, Lee Evans, Max Power. So Josh was just fourth in the pecking order. This would have been three years ago now. And Josh, as I sat with him, I said to him, if you stay around here, the likelihood is you'll wait and wait and wait. I think it's best that you go out on loan, you go out and play. And it's great to see these young lads like Josh, you know, coming to the fore now, that the experience of being out on loan gives you. Derby County have been leaning on their youngsters too. Another win for Wayne Rooney as they saw off Bristol City by a goal to nil. And Paul, last time you were on, he was he was in interim charge, Rooney, and, and only just starting. You must be impressed with how he's done since he got the gig full-time. Really, really, really impressed. I think one of the issues with Derby, and it's, it's modern-day football now, isn't it, with takeovers and you know all the other book that comes with it, that there's been... Bad press for Derby now for a period of time. And I think appointing Wayne as the full-time permanent manager was probably the real first bit of good media attention Derby have had for a bit. Within that, the results are speaking for themselves. I think Wayne would be the first to admit Derby's squad should not be in the position in that league table that Derby's squad is in. So the reality is Wayne's got players there in the building that can help him and to take him there. But Wayne's got to do that. And I think he's doing it with a plum at the minute. I think he's coming out in his interviews. I think he's speaking really well. And his team's playing really well as well, which is great for everyone at Derby. I almost said long may it continue then, which I absolutely <laughs> do not think. <laughs> yeah, good for Wayne. Well done. Uh, right, let's move on from that. Uh, in a break from the norm, it's time for a new feature called A Word on Transfers. I'm your host, Matt Davis-Adams. I'm joined by my pundits. You can only say one word. That's why it's called a word on transfers. Uh, this January, seen many a move. Loads of them will happen after we stop recording the pod as well. It's the way it usually goes. Uh, so I'm going to ask my panel for one word on the following moves and see what they come up with. Um, Sam Park in Europe first. Sam Cosgrove from Aberdeen to Birmingham City. What's your one word? Exciting. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. I like that. 
Uh, a double incoming at Watford for you, Clarkie. Maurizio Pochettino, the younger, and Dan Gosling, the elder. One word. Uh, <laughs> contrasting. Right. One will play. One, one will play. The other one won't. <laughs> uh, very good, Adrian. Uh, on T side, meanwhile, Yannick Balassi signed on for Borough. Here's our northern correspondent, Paul Cook, with his thoughts. Exciting. Mm, okay. Yeah. Good. We'll take that again. Henry Lansbury to Bristol City, Sam. Um. um dull. <laughs> 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 Great great tracksuit top though he had on in the um the photo shoot. Great tracksuit top. Uh I would have gone for gamble on that one. Clarky, Ben Pearson stepped it up a gear, he switched the whites of Preston for the stripes of Bournemouth. Thumbs up, thumbs down, one word. Well, with a hyphenated, I'll go thumbs up. Okay, yeah, I'll give you that. Uh and finally, this one's for you, Paul. Shock news, Nottingham Forest have signed a player. That player is Glenn Murray. Pass. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pertinent word in football, so we have to um, we have to let you take that. Uh, all right, let's get some odds with Paddy Power, courtesy of producer Abby. We've had no luck whatsoever with our midweek hackers, but God loves a trier, so we're going to keep on going. Uh, Paul, I believe your selection comes from the Championship. I'm going to go for Coventry City at home to Nottingham Forest. This will be Paul's final appearance on the pod. We do thank you for coming today. Um, Abby, what what odds can you give on that most unlikely of scenarios? Most unlikely. (laughs) Uh, Coventry to win are 13 to 8. If you wanted to put a bet on Nottingham Forest, Matt, that would be 9 to 5. Like Uh, Dolly Parton. Okay, very good. Uh, Yeah, I'm not going to do that though. All right, League One, you're up next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show with Matt Davis-Adams. League One headlines. Lincoln missed two pens, hit the bar, registered 17 shots on goal, have 71% possession and still lose to Doncaster. That allowed Hull to replace the Imps at the top after they squeezed past Swindon. In managerial news, Simon Grayson is interim general of the Cod Army whilst winless Wimbledon say goodbye Glynn. Transfer news, Sunderland have brought in Jake Vokins on loan from Southampton and Jordan Jones from Rangers. Doncaster have also been borrowing from the Saints, taking Josh Sims for the rest of the season. And Charlton have nabbed Matt Smith from Swindon via Arsenal. And there'll be loads of last-minute panic buys, which will have gone through by the time we finish recording, I'm sure. Uh, let's get to the big game in the division, though. Lincoln nil, Doncaster 1. Doncaster providing the entertainment factor in League 1 at the moment. Uh, two penalty misses here for Lincoln Paul, George Grant the first, Anthony Scully the second. Are you the kind of manager who says once a player misses one pen, then they're off them and somebody else has a go? Or do you give that player a chance to redeem themselves? I think that's a very interesting point because that was one of the first things that I picked up on. Because obviously I think Grant's a quality player, isn't he? I think everyone knows his, his quality from set pieces, from dead balls, his finishing. So for them to bail out after taking one penalty is normally not really seen. He normally have another go. So whether that's something that Michael Appleton spoke to the players about, whether that's something that they've already organised themselves, I'm not so sure. What I do think, I think they were two outstanding saves as well, by the way. I think they were magnificent saves. I think, obviously, Ellery Balcomi, is it? Ellery got a man of the match uh, in the game. I think it's well documented that Lincoln dominated the game and obviously missed two penalties, had high percentage of the play. I think Michael Adair, which was one of the best performances of the season, but I think Darren Moore will be absolutely delighted travelling back across to Doncaster with the three points in the bag because he's having an outstanding season. Doncaster are as well. So a, a little bit of a contrasting sort of way to win a game. But again, will Grant have stepped up and took the penalty again? As a manager, I'd always be for a lad taking the second penalty. Why not? 
the reason he's on the penalties in the first place is because he's good. Clarky, you've got some pen stats for us, I believe. <laughs> well, well, they're not that exciting, but Lincoln, Lincoln have had <laughs> the most penalties in League One. They've had seven. Um, so they lead the way by, by two. There is one team in the division that haven't had any yet, and they are Paul Lambert's Ipswich. So, yeah, we, they're not getting the rub of the green in, in that sense. But, but yeah, look, it's... Yeah, they're, they're winning. They're winning penalties because I think they're getting into the box. They're stretching opposition teams really well. I, I do think Brennan Johnson, even though he's got reputation for for tumbling over, he's added reputation a that bit you of, gave him. Yeah, yeah. Right, was it me or Sam? I can't remember. I think it might be Sam. <laughs> the, but he, he he's quick and he stretches players, and 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 we, we all know that 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 type of player draws fouls it's 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 simple so and even with the one at the weekend i can't remember who it was that was fouled poor decision from the keeper to come out but again they got there first so look yeah i wouldn't say lincoln are lucky to earn seven penalties i think i think their style of play is a factor can i just pick up a point there i think that's a really interesting debate isn't it for managers and stuff around because if you're ipswich and you haven't had a penalty it's a massive, massive swing difference, isn't it? Because I remember when I was managing Portsmouth at Fratton Park, we went 12 months without a penalty at Fratton Park. Now, logically tells you that you have to have a penalty, don't you? And I just wonder whether sometimes the referees have a thing about them where they think with the bigger clubs as such. And I don't know, I just think, I wonder if there's something in it. You're obviously a decent to lads going down a little bit easier than others have to do. I won't put you to that. I just think there might be a mindset from referees. Interesting. Would you know offhand how many penalties Sunderland have had, for example? Oh, not not offhand. I have to say, I just I just think that that teams that have quicker players are more likely quicker players in forward areas are more likely to get penalties. I just think, I just think it's, it's those it's those it's those runs in behind where defenders are, 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 are scrambling when they, they end up diving in in, in desperation. I, I I think that is is what immediately comes to my head when I think about a team that that win penalties. I mean, and and having dribblers, Crystal Palace obviously in the Premier League have won a lot of penalties down the years. That's because Wilfred Zaha commits players. So I think if when I look at Ipswich. I don't see that many players in the, in their forward line that that commit defenders in in the way that maybe you know a Lincoln or or other teams do. Uh, just, that's just a hunch, yeah. Um, Sam, just just lastly on this game, Doncaster—they're the real deal at the moment, aren't they? They, they look one of the form teams in the division. Are you expecting them to to maintain this? And, and I guess keeping Darren Moore out of the clutches of Sheffield Wednesday might be a, a key part of that. Oh, mate, they're getting promoted like Swansea, Norwich, Brentford. You know. <laughs> um, uh, my my hunch would be that this is a really good spell, but maybe that they, they won't have um, the depth in the squad um, to, to make it. Uh, maybe uh, enough firepower as well. But this was a brilliant performance. As um, Cookie said, um, I think Darren Moore is really clever at setting his side up in different ways tactically. This was a a way to shut down the opposition, played um, James in central midfield, played Halliday further forward, both more defensive players. So I think he he actually, you know, on purposefully stopped Lincoln in, in this game. I think Wright played a fullback. He's normally a centre-half. So, And he did that against Lincoln in the home game where they, they won that. They won the last three against Lincoln City. So I think this was a job really well done. Um, obviously rode their luck to a... To a degree, but I, I don't think they've probably got enough to be automatic contenders. But playoffs, they were there, what, two seasons ago and lost narrowly to Charlton. So why not stick them in uh, that pot? It's a proper hot streak, isn't it? I mean, if you win eight of nine, you're right in the mix. I looked at, at goals from open play and um, they've scored more than anybody else in the division and played at least two games less than most of the teams around them. So... Uh, they're not a team that are relying on set pieces. They they, they create and um, yeah, they go they're going really well. But I, I pro- I'm probably with Sam on this one. I think looking at the other teams around them, there's a bit more depth. 
All right. Um, just so, just to make you, um, just answer your question, Paul Sunderland. They've had seven penalties. I've just looked that up. Seven. It's not just a big club, then, guys, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, speaking of teams in form, my goodness, me, Oxford United, nine wins on the spin in all comps, a club record equaling eight in a row in the league. This after they beat uh, Fleetwood by a golden list. Not Oxford. We're going to talk about though. It is Fleetwood. Simon Grayson appointed on an interim basis until the end of the season. Um, Adrian, if you're going to look up the definition of safe pair of hands for this kind of job, there might well be a, a picture of old Larry next to it. <laughs> well, he knows the game, doesn't he, Simon? I mean, I, I think he's a really good uh, analyst on on the radio. Whenever I listen to him, he, he speaks a lot of sense. He, look, he's got a pedigree, hasn't he, as a manager? I think he got promoted from this level with Huddersfield and, and Preston. Um, but the last three gigs he's had have been sort of... Awkward jobs, haven't they? Sunderland, Bradford, Blackpool, issues behind the scenes for him to deal with. Sort of adds to a lot of firefighting as well as managing Sunderland, Bradford and Blackpool. And, and the results didn't didn't go as well as hoped. So, so I think he kind of needs it to work, doesn't he, this time around, Simon Grayson. Um, so look, good luck to him. I do, I do like him. And he inherits a good, a really strong Fleetwood squad that, that have been underperforming. This season, certainly of late, I'm hardly scoring any goals, are they? I think they just need to find a bit of stability. I think that's his that's his uh, first job. I've noticed in, in, in recent months, a lot of different players have started games. They've been chopping and changing the, the, the starting eleven. Just he needs to quickly try and try and try and work out who who he wants to have in that team moving forwards. Uh, Fleetwood, by the way, have recalled Harrison Biggins from Barrow, which gives me the chance to say Harrison Biggins. Speaking of which, congrats to Newport on the signing of Priestley Farquharson. Uh, he's either the Earl of Rutland or a friend of Abbey's, I forget which. Um, <laughs> other managerial movements, AFC Wimbledon nil, MK Dons 2 was the final straw for Wimbledon, who part company with Glyn Hodges, seven in eight defeats and five in a row at home. Sam, do you think they're going to move away from the tried and tested he used to play for Wimbledon back in the day model in terms of appointing a new manager? Yeah, possibly. I think Neil Cox has been um, been linked with it today, a return. I'm not sure if Neil turned out for Wimbledon, but he was there with Neil Ardley, wasn't he? So that that would surprise me considering Scunthorpe about something of a, an upturn, but would, would be tempting. Um, I think it's a, it's a short-term fix, isn't it? Um, someone to go in maybe till the end of the season and firefight but it, it's difficult because they're not going to have the opportunity to bring in any players not that Wimbledon would be doing any business anyway They've and they allowed Glenn Hodges to bring in I think two loan players in the last 10 days which seems peculiar the timing of it but yeah the, the form's really bad and, and I had a little little look and um, they've conceded the first goal 12 times out of 25 and have taken one point so uh, out of those games. So I think it just shows you that that first goal is imperative in the fixtures for them right now. And invariably, if they go behind, they're not recovering to take any points. So it doesn't reflect brilliantly on the side right now. Um, and, and the other big thing, uh, in light of where we are today, there's a good chance that Joe Piggott will leave, I would, I would imagine, because I know there's clubs been circling and he's had a brilliant season, the best by a long way in terms of goals and assists and certainly someone who I think deserves another pop in the championship. Paul, what's your take on this interim manager business? We've seen it a lot. We mentioned Simon Grayson, Mick McCarthy too. Is this a new trend in football and, and is it best not to just get somebody in for the long term? Because there might be a danger of players thinking, well, this guy's only going to be here for another couple of months. I think, again, it's a great question. I think you've got to, you've got to have two hats on here, haven't you? You've got to have your natural answer, which is one that you can't understand why you'd want to appoint someone till the end of the season, for all the suggestions like you're saying, I think the players must respect the manager when he comes in. If you're a lad whose contract's up in the summer and you know your manager's only here till the summer, there's a million different aspects to that. What we also must factor in is what the world has been through and going through at the minute in relation to, you know, the sport being not even being played 12 months ago. I can fully understand why clubs probably want to have short-term appointments for them reasons. Uh, if they are for them reasons, it's totally understandable. Because obviously, outside of the Premier League, there's clubs suffering financially. And, you know, this is probably going to be the quietest deadline day we've ever had. And so the two paths fit. One way you think it's wrong. I don't understand why a manager can go in for 20 games. 
if you're going to point a manager with the greatest respect to point him. That would be maybe. But then when you come out to that and you look at football the world today, I can fully understand why clubs are doing it here. On that, Paul, players' futures are decided between January and, and April or May, pretty much in terms of contracts moving forwards. Who's going to make those decisions at these clubs where you've got an interim manager in charge? Because <laughs> it, it, you know this is this is these are livelihoods at stake, and surely you want the most qualified football person to decide whether that player should stay or go. If that person is someone that might go themselves, it just strikes me as weird. Again, fantastic question. You've got to be like in the ninety-two clubs in football today, and we're all supporters of football clubs. That's how we are as people. You want your club to be as best, and I've got to be dead careful what I say to you guys because I'll get myself into a bit of bother. The reality for the better run clubs, in general, they have less problems with players running out of contracts, deadline day signings, uh, all the future planning. Because I offer up, for example, Norwich City as a fantastically well run club. And if you look at Norwich City, they are two steps ahead probably in the transfer market, two steps ahead in the loan market probably two steps ahead in the manager market. And I mean that with the greatest respect because the manager's doing well. So they haven't let the disappointment of a relegation affect their club and sack the manager and bring stuff in. You know, they're a model that's doing really well. And I want to be careful because in football today, you know, you've got to have forward planning. If you want to be a top club, you've got to know you're going to sell your assets. And you've also spoke about recruiting people. You've got to know where the next generation of player for your club's coming in. That's no different than management. I do think these clubs in general, though, I think what is going on outside of football is playing a part. I think in certain terms, they're just looking for that. And we all want our clubs to be the best-run club in the country, don't we? That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sam, your selection for our midweek hacker with Paddy Power comes from League One, I believe. Yeah, I'm going to go for um, Blackpool to beat Northampton at home. In really good form, I think a side in Blackpool that are going to have a really strong second half of the season, full of goals uh, with Yates, Medine. And they've added um, Ellis Sims as well from Everton, who I've seen a bit of in the, the PL2. Um, got a couple of goals at Wigan, they beat them 5-0. And I really liked him when I've seen him up against um, Chelsea's youngsters. Big physical centre-forward, but lovely finisher as well. So um, I think they'll probably just have a bit more potency than, than Northampton, who... Um, we up on the filed coast last week as well, so they'll probably be sick of the sight of that part of the world and get done on a Tuesday night. <laughs> Abby, what's the odds on that, please? Yeah, Blackpool are odds on uh, 8-15 to, to beat Northampton and uh, Northampton 5-1. to one. Uh, Adrian, you've also picked a League One game for us. I have, yeah. I've gone for Accrington, actually. They play Bristol Rovers, who have lost their last three on the road. A little bit flaky on their travels. And Accrington... Having a great season, aren't they? They've only lost twice um, at home this year. And their record against teams in the bottom half is, by and large, pretty good. I know they lost it against Wigan and Burton, but but that aside, they've, they've swept most teams aside. So, yeah, I'm going to go for Atkinson to beat Bristol Rovers. Happy, give us some odds on that. And what does it do for the outcome? Yeah, that's 10 to 11 for Accrington to win. And uh, with those three that we've got so far, we're currently looking at around 7 to 1 on the treble. Good stuff. All right, League 2 next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Uh, League Two headlines, the top seven separated by just five points. And meanwhile, at the bottom, a massive win for Stevenage. Caretaker Port Vale boss Danny Pugh responds to the club saying he's not in the running for the gig full-time by overseeing a thumping win over Surrey Southend. And transfer-wise, Newport looks to give Forrest a run for their money for most signings. They make seven in January. Didn't help them at the weekend, though. Uh, we're going to start with Cambridge 3, Crawley 1. Cambridge stay top of the league after this victory against John Yems Crawley. Now then, Paul, John Yems has been a big favourite of this podcast uh, this season. Is he Is he somebody you've come across before? No, I haven't really come across John. Um, obviously, I'm fully aware of him. 
Um, I'm fully aware of where he's been. I think he's a he's a character, isn't he? You know, I think the game needs characters. I think it's enjoyable. I think the whole performance and everything around the Leeds game. I think it just done wonders for Crawley as a football club. I think it was not just the result because everyone loves the result, the Premier League. It was the performance as well. It was it was the way they went about it. You know, all of a sudden we're speaking about how to beat Leeds. Yeah, Leicester couldn't beat Leeds. Aston Villa can't beat Leeds. There's plenty out there they've got. And, and it was just great for John and his club. I think on the back of that, they've sold a couple of players now, haven't they? Which is always disappointing. The striker goes to Cardiff for nigh on a million pounds. Um, and I think Crawley's needed stability for a period of time now, haven't he? You know, they really have. So I think John's doing a fantastic job there. I think the profile of the cup run can see them possibly maybe try and challenge for a playoff space. It's that tight up at the top of that division, isn't it? You know, every week, I think Newport are down to seventh now. Yet they were top, It seemed like it was last week, Newport were top of the league. So I think John's doing a great job. It's great to see characters in the game, and I think it's what we need. Uh, in terms of this game, Adrian, you like a stat. How about some of these from Good Brand on Wes Houlihan? 82 touches, the most in the game. 55 passes, 47 successful passes, most in the game. 40 passes in opposition half, most in the game. Four crosses, most in the game. Five key passes, most in the game. One assist, one goal. He's really taken to this with gusto, hasn't he, this move? It's great to see. Yeah, he wasn't really in the game, was he? Um, <laughs> yeah, the... Um, Look, um, he's quite he's a class act, isn't he? We all know that. We knew when Cambridge signed him that he had potential to to be their difference maker. And I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really pleased. It's it's sort of my most local club from where I'm I'm from originally. And, and he yeah, said that about Ipswich great. last week, didn't he? Well, Ipswich is is Suffolk. I was I, I came from Hayward, which is in Suffolk. Ipswich is Suffolk. Cambridge is just up the road. Uh, <laughs> But all right, um, I, I, can, I can jump on these teams. Um, no, they're doing great. And and I love the fact that it's not a big name manager that's that's doing it. It's you know, someone that's, that's sort of been there for donkey's years behind the scenes with it, working with the younger players. And, 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 and there's nothing fancy about their tactics or their style of play. You know, mainly 4-4-2, hardworking, you know, good front two that combine well. Creators out wide, one of them, Houlihan. Yeah, it's it's... It's simple football, but very, very effective football. And they had a great January. 14 points for a possible 18 for Cambridge United. So, yeah, onwards and upwards for the years, I hope. Yeah, just a little point on that. Um, I was away with Wes, funny enough. I don't know Wes, and I met him on holiday. And he was just about with his family. Uh, I think he was going to Australia. And I think he was really disappointed about not probably getting a club and stuff like that. And I think he obviously has obviously great memories of playing for Norwich. I think he was still living in the Norwich area uh, with his, his wife and settling down. And I actually think it's a perfect example of someone who's just happy now. He's enjoying his football. Geography is great for him. And he's got quality. At any League 2 team, these, sometimes age is a thing where they get ripped off. You know, you're just speaking about the Wes Hulahan there. Yeah, his energy levels might be great. Yeah, he might be able to do the sprint distance as required. Well, it looks like if you give him a ball, he still knows what to do, guys. <laughs> and, and just a quick one. I, I probably had my most fun as a player when I dropped into the, the lower divisions and even into non-league. I just found that the the camaraderie and some of the lads, there was, there was no less egos, more normal conversations, just just sort of more rounded individuals in, in the dressing room. And, and it, I just enjoyed it more. And and I, maybe more players should. I'm not saying should play beneath their level, but it, it shouldn't always be frowned upon because it, it can be fun. If you look at like Paul Mullen and Ironside as uh, the front two, you know Noel who scored the goal, the fullback from West Ham and Swindon. You know these young lads love someone to look up to, and when you get a senior player, I was lucky. I had Gary Roberts for quite a numerous years. You know when these senior players one do everything properly, but two love football as well. It can only have a good effect on their careers. Uh, let's go on to Carlisle 1, Exeter nil. Long old trip for Exeter this. 700 miles for nothing. Not even the Proclaimers had walked that far. Um, Sam, your old club Exeter, no shots on target here. Are they destined to kind of be always the bridesmaid, never the bride in the in the League 2 promotion race? Yeah, it's not it's not looking great this year. Obviously, Matt was really open when he was on with us and, and said they'd they they go in a little bit of a different way this year where the onus wasn't so much on defending. It was about getting, I think he said, youth in the wide areas and, and loads of energy 
out wide, attacking players. And um, I suppose the Achilles heel has been the defending this year. I mean, last year at this stage, they had 13 clean sheets. You remember all the one nils and two nils that we were talking about? They were so watertight. They've only got five clean sheets this season. And, um, you know, married with that, they're missing their best player, Randall Williams and Joel Randall as well at the moment. So I think it's just a combination probably of the the two, which is going to mean that they may miss out this year. But this was a real, um, yeah, it was a bit of an ugly game, to be honest, but understandably considering Carlisle hadn't played in so long. So I think there was a bit of rustiness in their performance, not as fluid as maybe they've been under Chris Beach this season, but a great result and um, puts them in a brilliant position to... Uh, produce something that nobody expected. You know, nobody would have fancied Carlisle to get out of that division, but they're going great guns. Yeah, first game in four weeks for them. Uh, arguably the biggest match in the division on Saturday was at Blundell Park. Grimsby won, Stevenage two. Just when Grimsby thought they'd got a point, Stevenage take the kickoff and four passes later in the fifth minute of stoppage time go on to win the match. I mean, it goes from, from Grim to, to Grimsby to Grimsby, Clarky, for uh, for the struggling Mariners at the moment. So criminal to to concede straight from the kickoff. Luke Waterfall switched off, let let the runner Matty Stevens get in behind him and, and he'll yeah, he'll have had a sleepless night after that one. And yeah, you just look at Grimsby, poor record against the teams around them in the table averaging you know, 0.78 points per game against the bottom team. Stevenage are getting up towards one and a half points a game against against those around them. So that that's the difference for me. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, it's hard to find anything positive to talk about really with, with Grimsby. Maybe Jay Matete, who came in 19 years of age on loan from Fleetwood, he, he, he produced a good assist, played okay by all accounts, but crumbs of comfort really for them um but for Stevenage I'm really I'm really optimistic about them they're so solid I, I think I've, I might have the stat of the day here for you Stevenage have conceded fewer goals than three of the four teams in the playoff positions wow there you go get a season ticket there next year <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty dull they're pretty dull but but defensively you know it's a decent foundation <laughs> um Paul is there anything sweeter than, than winning a game with the last kick of it it just shows you the roller coaster the motions of being a football manager, doesn't it? I think I'm right in saying that Stevenage haven't won away from home all season. Yeah, the last team in England to do so, yeah. And the manager wouldn't know that, by the way, that's for sure. <laughs> three minutes, I think it's five minutes stoppage time. The three minutes it's a stoppage time and Stefan Payne goes through. Fantastic finish, it's a good goal. You know, so he'll be looking at the floor, he'll be doing the normal stuff of the roller coaster ride. Yeah, and a minute later, there you go. We're two one up. We're in the dressing room, and I'm sure it was a euphoric dressing room for Stevenage. I'm sure they've looked at it as a really big win on Saturday. And it doesn't look great for Grimsby in South End at the minute. I'm sure both managers of them clubs will be working as hard as they can to turn it round. Uh, right, odds wise, then from League Two, this is where my selection comes in. Uh, Abby, I would like Carlisle versus Forest Green Rovers, both teams to score, please. What odds will you give me on that? For that, I will give you three to four, which means that uh, our accumulator comes out at around 12 to one. Okay, so listeners, if you're unfamiliar with how betting works, if you put a pound on that, you'll lose a pound. Um, that's nearly as for today. Uh, as it's transfer deadline day, I want to hear some good transfer deadline day stories. Sam, I reckon you've definitely been lined up for a move on deadline day and found yourself stuck at Bulldog service station waiting for the, the paperwork to go through. Uh, even when I was useless in the, the last four or five years of my career, I'd always think my phone was going to ring still. <laughs> <laughs> I think every player's like that. Um, I moved on transfer deadline day, the loan deadline day once. And uh, it was when I, my first season playing, I was at Chelsea and um, it must've been the chief exec or the general manager pulled me in after training. So we had probably had five or six hours and said, um, I'd had a couple of loans previously that year and said, do you want to go to Oldham? Completely understand if you don't want to go. Like I thought I'd ask you, thought I'd just say I'd stay and play, you know, here to the end of the year. And uh, my girlfriend at the time was from Rochdale, which was about, I think it's about six miles away. <laughs> I got back to my mum's and was on the M40 within about 10 minutes. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> and to be honest, it was the, uh, it was the making of me because, um, probably told this story before, but I was, I wouldn't say I was brash, but I was confident, young, 
London lad. And I went into this dressing room with John Sheridan and Duxbury and David Ayres. And oh, it was it was amazing. It was a brilliant experience. You know, tough Scousers and, uh, and Mancunians. And um, yeah, I re- really enjoyed it. And I went into Diggs as well with a, a couple that I still um, kept in contact with for a long time. And my, my biggest recollection is them cooking their their dinner about five o'clock so I'd still be having my afternoon nap and I'd smell this uh this Lancashire hot pot or whatever stewing away down there and I'd be oh I'm used to you know eating at nine o'clock continental <laughs> down there <laughs> so you didn't score much at Oldham but you did in Rochdale Clarky how about you <laughs> <laughs> no my phone never rang so there you go <laughs> no I moved um I moved the day before deadline day. But yeah, I, I got pulled out of a game. I, I was playing for Arsenal reserves against Swansea reserves. And I was literally changed and in my kit back in from the warm-up. It was that close. And no, no, it wasn't. We were about to go out for the warm-up. So I was in my kit. And um, and yeah, there was, I, I think I might have told this story before. But yeah, I was, there was a call to the team bus. And it was, um, yeah, it was South End. Wanted, wanted to get me on loan for the last few weeks. And and yeah, I have told this before, but for those that haven't heard it, yeah, Ronnie Whelan asked me, do you like a drink as one of his opening gambits? And I said, <laughs> thought it was a trick question. So I sort of said, well, yeah, on a Saturday night, yeah, I don't mind a couple, a couple of beers, you know, social. He goes, ah, oh, good stuff, good stuff. We've got, we've got a cracking set of drinkers at the club. You'll love it here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that was that. And he, he was absolutely spot on. There's some great lads. Mike Marsh was one of them. He's obviously... Um, Gone on to have a really, really great coaching career, actually. Um, but what, yeah, what a dressing room we had. We weren't much of a team, but a great laugh. Paul, is it just a nightmare for managers or are you able to really enjoy it if you get one over the line, last minute kind of thing? I think, again, it's all about where your team is in the, in the division and how you're going, isn't it? You know, if, you, if you're in a, you know, I think two years ago at Wigan, we managed to sign... Ooh, uh, Danny Fox, Anthony Pilkington, Leon Clark, and Jonas Olsen all on the three deadline day. And all, as you can see, we were trying our best to stay in the championship. And the best probably signing out them four lads was probably Jonas Olsen, uh, the centre half who played at West Brom and Swedish. But, and probably Jonas played the complete least amount of games. But his professionalism, his wanting to win, how he trained, and the effect he had on our dressing room of what you would call a winner. And sometimes you can actually be a winner without playing. It's just in how you conduct yourself and your approach to, to sport in general. So, you know, it's, it, it can be difficult, but I think when you get a sign and a two that you want, if you're at the opposite end of the table, I think when we were in League One with Wigan, uh, we, we had a very strong team. We were going well for promotion, but I think Brighton offered money for Nick Powell. I think it was five, six, seven million. Uh, it was near the dead. We didn't want to lose Nick. We were trying to go up. Nick's an outstanding player. And he phoned me up. I was on the way to a game. And he said, why are you trying to sell me? I said, how about Bali the German is, mate? I said, he doesn't want to go. I said, well, if you don't want to go, Nick, you stay. And he's an Northern boy, Nick. You know? And he didn't want to move. And the chairman actually didn't want to sell him. Uh, young David Sharp. It was more a case of Brighton had come in. He'd agreed a fee. And we managed to keep Nick, who was absolutely an inspirational player for Wigan Athletic. And, you know, that was a good day for a manager. That was a good day when you never actually signed anyone, but you never lost anyone. So, a different day. Excellent. Good stuff. Um, that's it for this episode. Many thanks to Sam, to Adrian, to Paul, and to producer Abby. George and Ali will be here on Thursday. We'll be back next week. Until then, from all of us here, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places, or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Hi, I'm James McNicholas, and I'm here to tell you about the latest series of Beyond the Headline, the making of Big Sam. If I did anything wrong, why did they pay me off? You see, Sam Allardyce seemingly can't quit English football, and English football can't quit him. But why? Why does football keep coming back to Sam Allardyce? To answer those questions and many more, you'll hear from former Hull City manager Phil Brown. He didn't mind having the crack, he didn't mind having the banter, but he would, he would prove his way was the right way. 
Dundee United manager Mickey Mellon. I've seen for some holidays, really. And of course, Father Joe Young, owner of Limerick FC, where the Big Sam story began. Now I said, Sam, this is the ultimate goal. Now I'll show you what we have. <laughs> and I brought him up and he said, Jesus, Father Joe, are you serious? I said, look, nothing is impossible to those who believe. You'll learn about his time in America at the Tampa Bay Rowdies, the way he revolutionised English football, and of course, the England debacle. You can hear it all now and ad-free via the Athletic app. Just search for Beyond the Headline now. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.